Sauce. This is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas. And this is episode 10. Artists are lightning before thunder. <laughs> Does anyone recognize that phrase? It's from a song. <laughs> I'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, how are y'all doing? I am thinking about you. I have been quiet on social media this past week. I'm going to, I think, post a little bit this week. And when I say post, I mean um, Becca Taylor, (laughs) who does social media for me, uh, posts. I send her the the content and she sort of moderates the account. Um, And... I want to talk a little bit about that today. I want to talk about how um, how I had transitioned the past six months off of Instagram and Facebook as much and what fueled that decision. Um, I want to tell a story um, about a teacher that I had that I think informs some of that decision as well. And I want to talk about how that connects to what's going on right now. Um and most, I think, just like last week's episode, most of this um, dialogue is directed at people that share my demographic, um, white makers um, of relative privilege. But um, I think anybody listening to it will get a lot out of it. Take what resonates with you, leave the rest. <laughs> And before I plunge in, I wanted to talk about last week's episode, which was a little different in a few ways that I felt like bared some explanation really quick right now. Um, and then we'll just get we'll get going forward. Um, yeah, so last week was different because I was different. <laughs> um this podcast is relatively young. I had started it two months, two and a half months ago. I mean, that's amazing. (laughs) And one of the decisions that I made to, and not even a decision, it was a commitment that I made to myself and to y'all was that when I shared stories or, or anything on the, on these episodes that I would only share things that to the best of my knowledge, I'd worked through um, and when I say worked through, just that I had healed. I don't know. I Sometimes I feel like using the word healed is a little dramatic in, in this instance and also not. <laughs> um, I have found that the more I have worked through my own stuff, the better things, the easier my life has gotten, the happier I've gotten, the more I'm able to create what I want in my work and in my life. And to me, that's the actual work, honestly. Like working through my inner stuff is the work. And then the art and the merchandise and the teaching and this podcast, all of that is a way to share the work. Um, but it's not, that's not the work. <laughs> Selling stickers in an airport, not the work. And I say that because that's one of my largest revenue streams right now. And I know it's impressive. I know it's shiny. Like people 
when people talk about my business, they're not talking about me sitting up at three in the morning, delving into some pain from when I was in elementary school into my journal so that it doesn't eke out into my teaching later on, (laughs) right? Like nobody's, that's not the culture that we live in at the moment. The culture we live in at the moment is very much about what's happening out in the world, what's happening on the surface. And then all of the inner stuff is very private. Um, and, and yet the, the private stuff is, I think, where the actual, you know, the actual action happens, right? Like Teddy Roosevelt has that really famous speech about being in the ring. And I think he was referring to people being in the ring, in like a public sphere and doing the work. But I would almost, you know, I sometimes think of that speech in terms of being in the ring in ourselves. You know, a lot of the times the things that we're battling with and and trying to heal are not (laughs) out there in the world. Um, If we have this really crazy collective problem in the world, it's because um, of the ways that we haven't fixed the stuff in ourselves. You know, like if we have toxic systems out in the world, it's because they're created by individuals that haven't dealt with the stuff in themselves. And so then they create systems that reflect that stuff. And that's an interesting way of looking at artistry, isn't it? I think artists kind of wrap their heads around that idea a little bit easier because we're constantly confronted (laughs) with our inner worlds in the stuff that we make. I mean, even just in the simple fact that when I sit down to draw a black line, um, my hand will shake on days where I have a lot of anxiety in my body. And it's, I'm confronted with my anxiety the minute I sit down to draw. Like That's the thing that's really fascinating about creation is that we are confronted with our inner worlds. Um, and... So I wanted this podcast to, to the extent that I was able, be good energy, (laughs) y'all. I didn't want to be coming to you with a wobbly hand (laughs) and talking about something that I hadn't worked through because I had become aware as a teacher and as an artist that if you haven't worked through something, people will feel that. You know, like if you tell a story that still has a lot of a pain attached to it, people will then also absorb that pain from you. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like sharing pain publicly is really important as we're seeing right now. Um, But if the goal is to serve, (laughs) I don't view um, sharing pain as helpful. And so sharing pain wasn't in alignment with my goals for this podcast. And also, um, sometimes, you know, rules are meant to be broken. (laughs) I'm not Buddha and most of us on the planet aren't. (laughs) It's not always possible to share things completely removed from feeling. And last week was one of those times. And I, you know, I was talking about this with my husband and he was like, you know, I think you overestimate just how gentle 
you are. Like, he's like, you're pretty chill to talk to, Becca. <laughs> um, but I wanted to share that first, because I do think a lot of people that listen to this podcast tend to be a little more sensitive and squishy and feel a lot of things. And I know for myself, I can only you know speak for myself here, but for myself, I tend to think as all humans do, we tend to project the way that we see the world onto others. And we forget that other people don't see the world the same way. And I personally forget that not everyone's as sensitive (laughs) as I am. (laughs) And so, you know, a lot of people might have listened to last week's episode and been like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) that was pretty tame. Um, And then some people might have listened to last week's episode and been kind of lit up about it. And If they were, it's because they're more sensitive and they probably picked up on the fact that I was a little lit up last week and I wanted to give voice to that for the people that might've felt it, you know? Um, thank you, you know? Um, so that's kind of an interesting segue, I guess, into talking a little bit about energy and making art this week and not just making art but making anything in the world, making a life, making a family, making a business, making a revolution. Um, Energy is profoundly, profoundly artistic. And I think that as the culture wakes up to that idea, we're going to see more progress in our reforms than in like a few months as we've seen in generations before, honestly. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk about energy as an artistic tool. And then hopefully by the end, we can wrap back around to that cryptic title, (laughs) Lightning Before Thunder. It's kind of a silly title, but I was driving in my car yesterday and it I was listening to that song by Imagine Dragons and I was like, oh, I'd always wondered what they meant by we're lightning before thunder. And then I just had this sort of wave of a thought of what that phrase might mean. And I haven't actually looked it up online. I know Google, you can do that. You can look up and see what lyrics mean. I I guess that would ruin the fun. <laughs> so I didn't look it up. But And we'll kind of wrap around and talk about that at the end energy is artistic. It's so artistic. I've talked about this on Instagram TV before, and at at some point I'd like to bring some teacher friends of mine onto this podcast to talk about how this manifests in teaching, because teaching is when I first started to wrap my head around the ways that energy was so creative, so artistic. Um, I would watch some teachers, and I mean, I would say that this would be rare, like this was not a common thing, but it was a memorable thing because <laughs> because it was so rare. I would watch teachers come into a room of loud kids and the kids would just get quiet. The teacher wouldn't have to say anything. She wouldn't have to clap her hands. He wouldn't have to raise his hand or use his voice. She wouldn't have to do anything. The energy was enough. Just 
the presence was enough and the kids were like, oh, time to get quiet. Um, but not everyone is able to use energy that creatively. And I think honestly, it's, it's simple, not easy. Why? I think it's simply that most people don't view energy as creative. And so then, and so then if you don't view it as creative, you won't use it as creative. And I think one of the reasons we don't work through that is because if you want to use energy as an art tool (laughs) in the way that you create not just a painting but also your life um you have to learn how to create with your own energy first and that's tough shit (laughs) y'all um so i want to talk about that i want to tell a story Because it's like so abstract, isn't it? Energy is abstract because it's not something we can grab a hold on with our hands. It's not something we can taste. It's not something we can see. Energy doesn't have... I mean, there are people that say that they can see auras and stuff. and But I'm talking to... I'm talking to... I'm pretty hippie and I don't see auras. (laughs) I'm guessing most people listening to this don't either. And so this is for those people. I want to tell a story about a teacher that I took classes with that changed my life in regards to this topic. And then I want to talk about how I feel like it's relevant to where we're at historically um, and how that connects with some of my maker friends and how they're interacting with their own work in this new space and time, you know. Um, so when I first moved to Austin, it was in August. <laughs> It was 106 the day that I moved in. Oh, I came from Ohio, right? Where like the hottest it would get would be like 93 and humid. (laughs) It was never 106. I wasn't ready for it. And I remember I, you know, I'm a Leo. I think I have some stubborn sides. People are always surprised to find out that I'm a Leo because I don't act traditionally like a Leo, but I have some really stubborn undercurrents. And one of them is that I just want sometimes to make the world yield to my will (laughs) and I remember the first first few days of living in Austin I tried taking my road bike out um in the summertime and I (laughs) was quickly schooled in that that was not going to happen I you know that I needed to work up to that (laughs) and so I started looking for a gym nearby me and I stumbled onto a 24-hour fitness over there in Hyde Park in Austin. Still there. Really affordable gym. Has lots of classes and a lot of spinning classes. And so I thought, okay, this will be a way for me to get my, my biking in while it's so hot. And I stumbled upon a class by a teacher named Thomas. And I every once in a while I meet someone that has taken Tom, one of Thomas's classes. He's not there anymore for a while he was teaching at a 24-hour fitness farther north and I I think I like kind of stalked around to see if he was still teaching in Austin and I haven't seen his name and any other rosters um so I don't know maybe he left Austin I have no idea um because of the weirdness of the online community if there's an off chance that someone connects him to this podcast you're an awesome teacher, and I want to talk about his his teaching um, a little bit. 
And, and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because when I was a school teacher, I witnessed other teachers having an influence over their students. But Thomas was the first time that I had a teacher where I was aware of what it was like to be on the receiving end of someone who knew about energy. And I don't think, and when I say knew about energy, I don't mean like this. Like, I'm pretty sure Thomas would not have been like the type to sit down and be like, yeah, and then I communicate with vibes this way. Like, no, <laughs> he was, um, and he, and he, but he was aware, y'all. Um, and, and this is, so this is what it looked like. So I wasn't totally aware at first. I just knew that he was doing something. I, I came in to his class. Oh, and it was packed like 30 minutes before the class even started. People were getting onto bikes and I was like, oh, and I really, I learned pretty early on. Like if you didn't get there at least 30 to 20 minutes early, you were not getting a bike. Like people got there super early to get, to get a spot in this guy's class. And I was like, well, this guy must be good. And he was good. He was great. Um, and y'all, I, in the beginning, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you why it was, it was really interesting. I, as a, as a teacher who was going to grad school, at UT at that very moment for education, <laughs> I was fascinated by Thomas's class. I, I wanted to put my finger on it. I wanted to say, he's really good at technique. He's really good at explaining things that are complex. Or, I mean, he was good, but not better than any other teacher that I had taken a spinning class from, you know? And then I was like, well, maybe he, I mean, he does have really good music, yeah, but so do a lot of teachers, you know. Um, you know, he wasn't terribly charismatic. He wasn't really like loud and pump you up. In fact, he was downright quiet sometimes. Like sometimes he would barely talk at all in a class. Um, it was interesting. And one day I was in class, like classically early, to save a bike, and there was a few of us chatting, and. And someone brought it up. Like what I think a lot of us, had, I, and I realized in that moment, a lot of the students were thinking this, like, what is it about this guy? He's such a good teacher. And, and this, this woman sitting next to me said that she's like, I, I've been trying to figure it out. Like, I don't know if y'all have any thoughts, but like, I love this class and I don't totally know why. And so we're chatting. And then this, this woman pipes in from the back and she goes, man, it's his energy. And I was like, yes, yes. Tom, Thomas's vibe. And it, I, I, oh my gosh, shell that like deeply resonated. And also, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, and so I started to like, just pay attention, you know, like every class I would come in and I would just pay attention to how I felt. And if I, I was like trying to think about how I was going to describe his energy or how I felt before I recorded this episode. And I still don't totally know if I have words for it, but if I had to try, it would be like this. It would, 
when we were in the thick of the class, there was this powerful feeling that I had in his class that I didn't get in any other spinning class I'd ever taken. And the feeling was this, you are strong and you got this and I feel you and I know what you're going through and we're going to do this together. And none of that shit was said. <laughs> it was projected. It, it definitely came from him and all of us to a more or less extent were feeling it. And this is when I began to wake up to the power of how artistic energy is and how all of us, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we can put words to it or not, feel energy and respond to it. His classes were packed for a reason. And this, you know, I have so much gratitude to Thomas in some ways because, you know, I, I only, I went to his classes on and off for a few years and then I moved and, and it was too far to go to the gym anymore. And I canceled my membership and never saw him again, but his class transformed not just the way that I teach in my own work, but also in the way that I make art and the way that I make my life, <laughs> the way that I interact in relationships, the way that I interact on this podcast, that always, 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 when I'm making stuff now, I think about not just what I'm making, but how I'm making it. What is the energy that I'm bringing? Because I know that everyone's feeling it, even if they don't know that they're feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was cool because and I I was kind of ready to have that realization with Thomas because of my 6 years prior teaching kids. You know, I feel like the kids got me ready for that aha moment in Thomas's class because kids were this, I don't know if rude, rude awakening sounds a little dramatic to say, <laughs> but I remember early in my teaching career, I had a little bit of a rude awakening with the ways that image was no longer enough because we do get taught, every single one of us gets taught to prioritize image, Right? In in overt and covert ways, <laughs> in explicit and implicit ways, we're taught to, if we're playing, if we look the part, if we look like we've got it, right, that's enough. <laughs> if we have outward success, if we're getting the good grades, if we're making the money, if we have the big house, if we look the part if we have the shiny Facebook reel where all of our pictures look good and the under stuff is less important. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's the world we're in kind of, right? You know, but with kids, y'all, that bullshit does not fly. Four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, fuck that. <laughs> and I remember this is how I first learned. I came in those first few weeks of teaching and I had this idea, like, I was terrified. I was fucking scared out of my mind. <laughs> and 
And I thought, but it's cool. Like if I, if I um, use a certain tone of voice, if I stand a certain way, if I use certain words, if I have certain systems set in place, if I interact with the kids in a certain way, they will believe I'm an authority. And those kids were like, <laughs> nice try, Miss B. They, they fucking saw through my bullshit so hard. It was so apparent to me from the minute I stepped in front of those kids that I wasn't fooling any of them. <laughs> they all knew that I was so scared <laughs> and they responded accordingly. I remember listening to a interview that Maurice Sendak, uh, the illustrator author of Where, Where the Wild Things Are, gave years ago, and and he was known for being pretty feisty. Like he didn't love interviews. He didn't love celebrity bullshit, you know. And he was saying in an interview, he's like, ah, "This is why I work for kids." He goes, "I'd rather work and make things for kids any day of the week because kids." don't bullshit you. Kids won't tell you that your work is great because you're famous. If your work sucks, they just won't like read it. (laughs) He said, kids liking my stuff is the best compliment because kids are real. And I remember when I ran across that interview, I was like, yes, it really put words to why I loved being a teacher. Being a teacher was the hardest work I've ever done. And it will continue to be the hardest work I ever do. Teaching adults is way easier. Teaching kids is hard because kids see your energy and they respond to it. (laughs) And I mean, I'll have to do another episode on another time, but you know, my unhealed crap from my childhood got lit up on a daily basis with those kids. And Being a teacher requires so much courage for that reason. It's like your freaking childhood demons will come into your room with you. (laughs) Like it was crazy. And I noticed like sort of one of two, it plays out in one of two ways with all teachers. Either the teachers do the work of facing those demons and slaying them or clearing them. I don't like slay. Slay is such a (laughs) freaking... shitty word I but like clear clear heal feels more in alignment I guess with how I view it but even then I feel like some people immediately hear the word clear and heal and they're like oh it's so mushy and rainbows and unicorns and no (laughs) real healing is more like slang (laughs) real healing is work 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 y'all that's one of the ways um, but a lot of teachers would would learn to numb and learn to create walls so that they could that they could get in front of those kids every day and not be lit up and and a lot of teachers became hard some some of my idols some of my favorite teachers had crazy walls and um this is no judgment on that i i i started to do the same too it's very human, <laughs> you know, to just be able to manage the energy. And also walls don't work. If we're trying to reform systems, walls don't work. We, we know this. 
And I've been thinking about Thomas a lot more lately because, and I've been thinking a lot about my kids a lot more lately because those experiences working in education and and really ra- like wrapping my head around the ways that energy is creative and energy is artistic. I mean, if, if y'all have been following me for a while, you know, this is like the foundation of my business. This is the foundation of my art philosophy. Energy is creative. Energy is artistic. We paint our lives with who we are all the time. Just standing in a room is profoundly artistic And it sounds so elusive, but it's not. Like we have experiences all the time of like getting in line at a grocery store and we're standing by a stranger and we're just like, I don't know, but I love your energy. And you don't even have to talk to them to feel it. Right? And I've been thinking about that because there's this... There's this subsequent frustration that sort of comes up for me when there's large groups of people that are still kind of figuring out the ways that energy is artistic. Um, And the frustration is my stuff to work through. Like, um, it's not anything wrong with other people, right? Um... There's, but when we're learning to make stuff, right? And we're like totally new to making something, like when I was a teacher, it's really natural to kind of come into the room and and want and be like, I'm an authority. You can trust me. (laughs) I'm safe. And and everyone in the trenches is like, I don't believe you. <laughs> and that's kind of been my experience on the internet lately. And that's one of the reasons I kind of pulled back is there's a lot of, of people, and I'm speaking to my white people of privilege mostly. No, not just mostly, only. <laughs> you know, who are so... They're, they're, it's, they're so wanting to help. Um, I'm so wanting to help. I know how that feels. You come in and you just want to come into the classroom and you just want to be like, I've got this. And then there's all these people of color that are like, no, you don't. <laughs> and I, that is not, let me say this very clearly now that I've put that out there. This is no shame on that space. There is no shame on being in that space. That is the lightning. We have to be image first. There was How was I supposed to walk into my classroom <laughs> and have the energy of a, of a seasoned teacher? <laughs> There's no freaking way. We all start off with just image. We all start off just being able to post the memes, post the solidarity. But it's so important to recognize that, recognize it for what it is. It's just surface. We haven't done any of the fucking work yet. 
and the people that have been that are the people that have been through the pain, the people that have been oppressed for generations upon generations upon generations, they're feeling the energy, y'all. And if you're just posting solidarity and thinking that that it just it's helpful to remember that people can feel the energy of your newness. <laughs> it's like the five year olds in the class. <laughs> They're like, sweet, we're we're really appreciative that you're here to teach us some art and to be with us and we see how how new you are. <laughs> you're not fooling us, right? And there's no shame in being in that place. Like that's how it starts. That's how all new stuff starts. <laughs> but I wanted to share this message with my with my people because I'm in that place too and I have this like weird experience of being an artist and a teacher that like really perseverates on energy and so I guess I just sort of naturally started to like dive into my energy last week and started to look at the ways that my energy is just totally out of alignment with helping people that have been totally overlooked you know in some ways I'm pretty proud of how my business is structured to support people and in other ways I've failed massively and I guess that was my intuitive approach and then I started to feel weird because I wasn't feeling comfortable with posting about it when I was out of alignment. And then some people really close to me, I don't know if this happened to y'all, but some people really close to me um, who are honestly doing more work around this topic than I am started getting those messages on social media. Why aren't you amplifying more? Why aren't you showing more I get that I get why that was a concern for people but it's just surface y'all surface is important so I'm certainly not trying to suggest that we should all be silent right now getting out there and using our voices um, on on social media is a display of solidarity for people in a lot of pain that they really need. And so I have very subtly on my stories and in my newsletter tried to do that. And also (laughs) really felt uncomfortable. Um, I felt uncomfortable because my energy is not in alignment, (laughs) y'all. I felt like I was a spinning instructor getting up there and saying, I got you, but I don't. (laughs) The work is mostly inside, you know? I get quiet here because I don't have the answers. I'm I'm really in deep water around this for sure 
But if we can recognize that energy is artistic, then we get this like amazing opportunity to move past being just this, the image, past just being the lightning. First comes image, first comes lightning, then comes thunder, then the energy. And then people don't just see your support and see what you're making, they feel what you're making. What you're making moves shit. (laughs) Lightning is seen by people who happen to be looking out their window. Lightning is seen by people in like a a small vicinity. Thunder is felt by anyone (laughs) in a much larger circumference of the storm, right? Thunder reaches people whether they're in their house, in a car, Energy is so profoundly creative, right? Just being in that class with Thomas changed the way I viewed myself as a spinner. Like I would leave feeling strong. It was so cool. It reminded me of this um, this passage from this book called Last American Man. It's written by Elizabeth Gilbert about, and Elizabeth Gilbert, pretty well known, by the way, for Eat, Pray, Love and Big Magic, and now City of Girls is on the New York bestselling list, New York Times bestselling list, but Last American Man is one of her earliest books that she wrote. Well, not one of her earliest books, but it's a book that was written before she became a relative celebrity. Not many people know about it. And it was written by a biography about a man named Eustace Conway, who lives on a parcel of about a thousand acres that he purchased in the Appalachian Territory. And he is fascinating. (laughs) Eustace Conway is one of the only or one of the very small number of people that totally 100% live off the land. Um, And when I say totally, I mean like fucking totally. Like he, his clothes are animal skin. He sleeps outside. If there's a storm, he finds shelter or he puts up a shelter also made of animal skin. Like he hunts his food. I mean, like, whoa, (laughs) about as a big departure from modern life as you can get. Right. And he, and he participates in capitalism sort of by doing these speaking engagements where he shares his philosophy and mission about living with as little of a footprint on the planet as possible and then uses the money that he that he generates to funnel into this outdoor school that he has on his land and things like that. And he's definitely not a black and white character. Like he's doing a lot of like amazing things. <laughs> he's walking the walk right and he's also I mean he also is like kind of a hard person to be around (laughs) it's a really fascinating book and um but one of the the pieces of the book that I'll never forget was she describes this experience of being in an auditorium for one of his speaking engagements with high school kids and the auditorium is so loud 
So all these teens just like, you know, tying at this fever pitch with each other. And Eustace comes out onto the stage with no introduction. And within five seconds, the entire auditorium goes dead silent. And Elizabeth Gilbert is like, what? <laughs> and he waits and then, and then just starts speaking. And after the event is over, she's chatting with him. And she says, can you, like, how did you do that? Like, tell me how you did that. And uh, I don't remember exactly what he said anymore, but it was something to the effect of, you know, it's just not often that kids are around people that are real. Which, I mean, (laughs) it's it's a little bit egotistical, right? I mean, or a lot egotistical to say that. Um, For sure, definitely. It's self-inflated, absolutely. And... I think that Elizabeth Gilbert included that in her book for a reason. You know, that it wasn't untrue. That is Eustace Conway, this perfect Buddha? No. Nope. Nope. But in the instance of talking about living off of the planet and doing what was good for the planet, was he living in alignment? Yes. And are people who live in total alignment with what they say rare? Yes. (laughs) And when kids especially, right? Because remember what Maurice Sendak said? (laughs) Kids have a lower threshold for bullshit, right? When kids especially are around someone who is in alignment like that, it catches them off guard. He didn't even have to say anything. He just came out on the stage and they were like, whoa, this guy is different. I want to hear, I want to hear what he has to say. And it might not have even been that this guy is different in a good way. I mean, it might've been like, whoa, this guy's weird, but I'm super curious now. Right? This guy has a lot of power because this guy is walking the walk. And that was an impression that I got off Thomas in that spinning class. I felt like he had a ton of power and he didn't have to say anything. I felt safe in that class. I felt I felt like I could push myself to the absolute limit till my legs and my till my body was shaking and <clears throat> not feel self-conscious. And it's easy to put that kind of stuff on yourself 100%, right? Like when you feel self-conscious and you're like, "Oh, I'm I'm lacking confidence." I'm lacking security. And then all of a sudden you get around someone who's so secure in a certain area that you get to borrow their security. Oh, you just want to be around people like that. That's artistic fucking energy right there. When you have energy like that, you you help other people create <laughs> realities with you that they couldn't create on their own. I experienced a level of fitness and confidence with fitness in Thomas's class that I was incapable of experiencing on my own at that time. It was amazing. <clears throat> and it just felt like a really timely time to talk about this because it is it is noticeable, isn't it? You know, when when people post just from a place of image. You know, and there's nothing wrong with posting just from a place of image. Um, If I post anything (laughs) about this movement right now, it will have to be just from a place of image because I have not done the work 
(laughs) around it yet. Like I, to really walk the walk in this way is going to take me years, you know? So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with showing solidarity just on the surface right now. I just think it's important that we acknowledge that. And there are people that aren't. And it feels weird. I I know one particular person um, I'm connected to on social media that has been posting very vocally about posting vocally as an authority and what's happening. And just a few months ago, I heard that person say some really racist shit. <laughs> and it, it, feels icky. it feels icky, right? When you run into that disconnect. And it's, I just think it's important as creative people to just recognize that image doesn't fool anybody anymore. <laughs> It used to, I think, and I think we're past that point. And I, I freaking love that. The, the, the shit that we're going to start making now, y'all, in our art and in our life is going to be so badass because people are not fooled by image shit anymore. And yeah, that's what I'm thinking about right now. Um, but if it, I feel like it should, I feel like I should reiterate just one more time in case it wasn't expressed well enough in the past minutes of this episode. There is no shade in just being surface when you're new. It's no, no, not at all. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Um, I'm speaking to the people that share my demographic. Um, I'm with you there. Um, And I think that to the extent that we're able and willing to acknowledge that we are not bringing the authority that is attached to energy, we will be successful in doing the inner work. But when, but if we stay attached to just the image of being supportive, the performance of being supportive. You know, I think that's a little bit of a risky place to stay in because it can feel like a substitute for the inner work. And we're in this place in time because there's been a profound lack of inner work. And, you know, sometimes I feel a little silly using the word heal on this podcast And I realize it's because in an aggressive culture that views healing as a pejorative, (laughs) it's no wonder that we haven't done a ton of healing on our insides, you know? Even now, a uh, a lot of the displays of solidarity are um, ones of aggression, right? Why aren't you fucking amplifying? Why aren't you fucking being an ally, right? And sometimes that's important and sometimes that's necessary. (laughs) But sometimes 
most of the time. The reason that we're in this place is because there's been this profound failure to go into our fucking feelings. You know, it's not unicorns and rainbows, y'all. There's so, there's this, I know, I talked about it in the last episode. I know there's this tendency to be like, people are dying. The world is burning. There's a fucking pandemic. We don't have time to go into our feelings. And I guess my point of this this episode with lightning before thunder is, (laughs) this is the absolute time <laughs> to get quiet and to go into our feelings and to look at the ways that we have tremendous pain from our childhood that is keeping us from fucking changing this shit because we don't have to try to change anything i think that's one of the biggest myths that i'm still trying to unpack in my own art and life is that If you change the inside, then the outside just naturally springs forth. (laughs) It's like really quite, quite simple. Not easy, not easy at all. But even, even me is still kind of in this place in time where like, like when I'm making artwork where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to make this thing and this is how I'm going to execute it. Right. That's one way of doing it. It, it it requires a lot of sweating and huffing and puffing. <laughs> or another way of doing it is to spend a lot of time looking at the ways that the natural flow of making is obstructed. Like, what is keeping me from just sitting down and making what my heart wants? How can I remove those obstructions so that when I do sit down in the future... I can just let the artwork come through me that wants to come through. It sounds so hippie until you try to do it. <laughs> and then you're like, whoa, this is hard as fuck. Yeah. It's why I have so much respect for teachers like Thomas because I don't need to know his history to know that he must have done some serious inner work around cycling to be a teacher like that. You know? Yeah, being an artist, using energy as artistry. What the fuck? Yeah, I've been using that word a lot in the second half of this episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> My mom and I were chatting the other day, and she was like, Yeah, I was listening to so and so, and she made me think of you because she uses the F word a lot. And I was like, Dang it. <laughs> Am I going to be associated with that girl that uses the F word a lot? Possibly. Sometimes I just get. Sometimes it just feels like it's important (laughs) to use it. If anything, I'm really hopeful because the amount of lightning that is being flashed right now is more than I've seen in my lifetime. And before the lightning comes the thunder, hopefully. (laughs) Right? If you move deeper than image, you get some crazy energy coming out of it. You know, you sh- you, if you go past the surface of what you're making and delve into, into your like heart and soul 
and peel away the pain and layers in your own life, oh my gosh, that's when you're that's when you can start making stuff that really freaking moves people on the planet, you know? It's an abstract idea. I don't know if the stories that I've shared today do a great job of illustrating it, but I hope they come close and I hope there's like a a sense of wrapping your head around an idea that I I think needs to be talked about so much more, you know? So much more. I don't know. I love y'all. I I feel so honored to get to be on the planet right now. This is a time where we get to do some amazing crap. Oh my gosh. Like, I don't know if it's fair to use the word crap (laughs) around this time. I think sometimes, you know, like when an experience defies language, it's easy to default to just like a really stupid word like crap. (laughs) But this is... I just, this is a really amazing time and it's so profoundly important from my perspective that as we move forward, we're thinking about the creative power of our energy. Who are we being right now in relationship to this movement? And how are we going to shift that energy in us? That's that's the work I... And I, <laughs> this is not a pat on the back for Becca. I'm there with you. I, <laughs> I am... I'm so fish out of water. And, and figuring out how to swim, you know? Figuring out how to make some water to swim in, first of all. <laughs> and... Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about today. More and more of these episodes just seem to end when they want to end. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, now I'm done. <laughs> um, I am hoping to have Jason on next week and to talk a little bit more about the future of this podcast. Um, I love y'all. Thank you. Peace.